Well, welcome to the Mountain Misfits podcast, and we are joined by Andy Loeb, who is a filmmaker who has done a couple of different feature lake films on through hiking. So it's kind of a, I don't know, it's an endeavor that boggles my mind of anyone who even undertakes a through hike. Actually, his achievements are a lot longer than what you just said. we'll (laughs) We'll go through it. So, uh, first of all, Andy, uh, give give us a little short introduction to who Andy is. Uh, yeah, so my name is Andy Lobb. I'm, I'm based in California, uh, and I am an independent documentary filmmaker. Um, I have made lots of documentaries and, and stories and featured a lot of stories that span any space of um, humans and nature and, and kind of the spaces they meet. So I've done over half a dozen feature length films mm-hmm. and, uh, and I just completed my first documentary series, which is through the Pacific Northwest. And um, it's, uh, it's my calling. It's not really a job. I love it. So how, how okay, first step is, uh, how did you get into filmmaking? Was it schooling? Was it self-taught? I originally intended to set out to be a political reporter. <laughs> so this is back in the kind of the 2000s, early 2000s. And my first assignment as a student news director of my college station was to cover the, the 2008 presidential election, which was a pretty momentous election, mm-hmm. um, regardless of the, which side of the aisle you were on. And I covered that from the Iowa caucuses all the way to the inauguration. And I was just like a young buck and I was just traveling all over and in in the midst of everything and it was really exciting but I also found it I saw through the show of it and I also got kind of burned out I mean it was just a really relentless year of covering that story and and watching those campaigns unfold and um and when the inauguration happened I had grown up in the in the suburbs outside Philadelphia I had never backpacked before in my life and there was always this allure there like "Hmm, there's something there that seems magical and when I got to the inauguration of that election cycle, I was like, I really just need to take a step back before I really devote myself to being a political reporter. And I stopped everything I was doing. I left my position and I went and hiked the Appalachian Trail uh, in the dead of winter alone. (laughs) And I had never done anything like that. So the whole, uh, everybody thought I was crazy. in my circles in Boston and Philly, uh, and and I probably was a little crazy, um, but I just set out and I had an experience that was unlike anything I had ever experienced, and uh, it just changed my whole life. So, with, so that's you... that's how I yeah, so that's how I got my start. I mean, you know, I, I have a backbone in reporting, and then I found nature through that hike. Um, it was two thousand miles of just really uh challenging freedom um is a good way to you know maybe encapsulate what you find on a through hike and uh through that i found just a whole lot of peace and and really great stories i found that people opened up in a way when you were through hiking that was unparalleled to anything i had experienced in my reporting to that point and also i just loved the stories that happen on a through hike uh so after that i shifted my career and I started to really focus on nature stories attached to nature in some capacity um, whether it's traditional yeah tradition more traditional reporting stories on issues like 
that are attached to the climate crisis, whether it's vanishing fisheries or endangered species, um, but also adventure adventure films. Um, and that led me to my first adventure film, which was As It Happens, Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, which was over 10 years ago now, which is crazy. I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> We're all getting that way. Well, if you're old, then what are we? <laughs> Damn near dead. <laughs> Damn near dead. Knocking at death's door. <laughs> you know, you said people opened up uh, more uh, when you were just talking so on the trails so what do you exactly mean by that i think there's something when you come to into somebody's world and you only have a backpack you're very unassuming in that way you're not coming into it in a and with any kind of like power really i mean a lot of it is like you're coming into it very humble because often it's hitchhiking to town for food or you're just coming across them on trail and there's already a kinship there because there's some shared love of the natural world um and people are more open because of that so you know and and the conversations often might not even have to do with nature it might just be about their lives but some of those stories that i've unearthed over the years on through hikes are some of my favorite stories because they're just really touching um whether and also especially with the people you hike with and that's Another big factor is not just the people you meet along the way, but the camaraderie that you built and you start as strangers and very quickly you become friends and then trail family and and in that process, those people really open up and you can get to deep layers of people um, that maybe they haven't even thought about for a long time and the portraits that that I'm able to capture on a through hike are so much richer than the portraits that I would capture in a typical reporting assignment where I drop in for a day or two you know and, and it's it's not the same um and i just find that it's really a lot more it creates a lot more engagement when you're able to peel the onion when you're able to get all the layers of somebody and find out these really amazing stories people do cool things and go through really hard times and i love it when nature is a part of that, that mix it's, to me it's just like the best um, I was going to say that maybe when uh, we backpack and we only bring the bare necessities and it's very symbolic of uh, what we do with our personalities as well. Maybe leave out the unnecessary stuff and just come in with the core essentials and uh, which is mm -hmm. uh, makes it a lot easier to get to know someone else because you get to see uh, the essentials of someone else, you know. The, the core of the person instead of the personas that uh, that come over on top of the core. Mm -hmm. uh, the, however, you and I <laughs> run the other way as soon as we see hikers. <laughs> we, 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 too much stuff. <laughs> uh, we can be we can be kind of anti-social. We're, <laughs> we're, we're anti-social yeah, you know, on the trail as well, well as the off reason the trail. You go to the there's a reason you go to wilderness right i mean it is to escape a lot of i mean i live in the city i live in the heart of san diego so i'm i've and ever since for the last 16 plus years i've always lived in the heart of big cities new york city boston dc mm -hmm. philly now the west coast um i mean there's something to be said for the communities you can find in cities but it's also really nice to get out on a trail run and be have nobody in sight you know for a couple hours in the morning which i do several times a week, you know? Um, yeah, there's, there's, it's a balancing act. You know, I, I think it was, I was throw that said it, you know, solitude is a nice place to visit, but not live. And oh, I think it, it is a balancing act, right? Like, you know, it's, it's nice to have that solitude, but it's, 
you can also find out a lot about yourself by meeting new people because the stories that you tell people that you just met are it's a story that you're telling yourself and when you're meeting new people and you're spending that kind of time with people you you start to think about your story a little differently you know maybe it's it's been a minute since you've reflected on really how you got to where you're at and um i just think all of it is is a great way to just really get a better perspective on yourself and um your place in the world so i have to ask what was what's your trail name uh my trail name is camel camel <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, is that because yep. you don't need to drink water or? <laughs> yeah, it's because every day on the AT, my buddy who was the opposite of me and drank a ton of water, I always had my camelback was full at the end of each day. And I always <laughs> usually wound up, yeah, giving everybody else the water that I just lugged around and never actually drank. Um, so, yeah, so I got the nickname camel. So that was that's how I got it. We're so. about the same. Well, not we. Uh, I'm the camel and you're you're. You said I'm the brains. You're the, <laughs> um, if we have limited amount of supplies, uh, I get the carbs and he gets the water. <laughs> all right, there yeah. you go. That's a fair trade. And then on the trail, I, I get to pack all the camera equipment and she gets to have all the essentials. <laughs> you know? That's a good trade-off too. I, I, yeah, the camera equipment is, it adds up. My camera equipment totals more than my pack weight, my base weight. So my yeah. So how much is your overall pack that you're hauling with you on the trail? My base weight for my pack is about eight pounds with like all my essentials. And, okay. and then my camera equipment is probably about 10 pounds of camera okay. equipment between batteries and lens or lenses, the camera itself. And I usually have a gimbal with me, um, which is, was a, is a prime feature in the series through Pacific Northwest that really kind of elevates its production value but yeah i mean i work on i work on two different series right now um out of san diego and they're they're not hiking series and the camera it's amazing i mean we have hundreds of pounds of camera gear that we haul from shoot to shoot to shoot all over for this for those series um so but on a through hike obviously it's kind of like a haiku you have a limited amount that you can carry so you better have you know the right tools and each tool better be pretty flexible so that you can use it in a variety of situations and it's reliable and you can get the production quality you want um, and, and rel keeping it relatively simple. So you're kind of limited. So I, I kind of cap it at 10 pounds because other than that, it gets dangerous, right? Because, you know, sometimes I might need to haul out 10 days of food plus lots of water if, there's, if it's a dry section um, and I just don't want to you know extreme uh, have an extreme weight on my back <laughs> mm -hmm. so I, I kept it at 10 pounds but yeah and so on your first film what was what camera what was the gear you used on oh my gosh yeah I mean so I was like I'm, my training is in writing official you know my learned education mm -hmm. is in writing uh that was just I just had a Canon Rebel which is like I mean any iPhone mm -hmm. is far surpasses what that camera could do that I had on that hike um, but, you know, regardless of the tool, it was just a great opportunity. The Pacific Crest Trail and making as it happens was just a great opportunity just to learn how to play with a camera. Just like how, like I had nothing to do besides walk and play with a camera for six months. So, um, you know, reporting aside, just learning how to get shots, like how to look at details, not only the big stuff, but the tiny stuff and, um, and just shape my eye. I call it dirt time. You know, I had a lot of dirt time 
on that hike. And um, so I, I self my self taught myself the camera work during that. And then when I got done the hike to do the edit for that, I had never really edited before. So um, I had to learn how to edit. So now, I mean, now that's like something I have tens or tens of thousands of hours in and producing all the films I've made and everything. And it's essential to my job, but you know, that project was great because it taught me how to do camera work or at least got my feet wet. And mm-hmm. it also got me, got my feet wet and gave me a reason to learn how to edit. And obviously those are really essential to filmmaking, both those skill sets. And they're, it's a craft. Each of those I'm constantly pushing myself to just get better at, to, to be more creative with both of those capacities. So yeah, that project really was formative for, for filmmaking for me becoming a filmmaker and were, were there any uh what was kind of your inspiration to to film i mean was it like you saw somebody do it like you know there's so many through hike videos on youtube or was there someone in particular or was it just kind of a natural organic thing that came up and you had to go let's capture this whole this whole adventure on the pacific crest well, when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I just I had this experience that was unlike anything I had ever experienced, but also unlike anything I had really ever seen in TV. And immediately after the eight, that AT, I went and worked at Discovery Channel in the development department. And at the time, Man vs. Wild was just going, you know, gangbusters as one of the top programs. And I kind of like had like a lot of beef with that program because I was like, well, what happens if it's like not Man ver- versus Wild? What if it's yeah. like person connecting with wilderness what about that because like the stories that they were capturing in that program were so unlike anything I experienced on a through hike right so I pitched the idea inside the development department to do something like through the Pacific Northwest something big that would capture just a through hike in a really thoughtful and really high production value way and um, they ultimately didn't bite so when my contract ran out I was like all right well I should just do this project myself and um so then i i went and i started to try to get funding and um yeah and get get it together and and, but that was really it like i wanted to do nature programming after the at i didn't really like the nature programming and i was really young but i didn't like what was being produced or didn't see the experience that i had and i knew that there was something really powerful there that was being missed Mm -hmm. so then i just went out as an independent and tried to capture it and as it happens and it's been kind of still that journey like i have a lot of films in between as it happens and through the pacific northwest that i did but i still even after a decade i still my one of my favorite stories to tell is the story of a long walk so and when you you was the pacific crest your second big through hike Mm mm-hmm so have you done them all? Have you done the Continental Divide? I haven't. Done, I have not done the Continental Divide yet. I I have done uh, the AT, the PCT. I did half the Arizona Trail, and um, you find out why it's only half in episode two of Through the Pacific Northwest, it's like a flashback <laughs> chapter. Um, and then I obviously I did the Pacific Northwest Trail. Um, so I haven't done the CDT. I, I kind of had plans to do the CDT, but then I got a film offer to, to do a film and then um, I took that by the horns and, and yeah, it just kind of has eluded me in, in, as, as an adult a little bit. I mean, I have six months is now very hard for me to get 
right. <laughs> protected time on. Um, but also just it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 there and it's exciting to think about um, the prospect of doing it. And I will do it. But at this point, I'm thinking maybe I'll just wait a couple of years and do it with my son. But, you know, we'll see. <laughs> So, you know, we were kind of talking about, you know, the, the, bent, the this, this connection that you you get with trail time. Uh, what What's the hardest part for you, either as, as a hiker doing a through trip or as a filmmaker? What's what's the hardest thing to overcome? Well, I'll tell you what the easiest thing is. The easiest thing is walking. <laughs> right. By far the easiest part. The hiking part is easy. Um, as a as a hiker, the hardest part is probably at this point in my life is, is just getting the protected time to go away and not leave my family hanging. Um, I think, you know, that's easily the hardest part now as a hiker, but as a filmmaker, the hardest part is all the stuff that ha doesn't have to do with creative, all the distribution, having to find funding, having to do, you know, like all, all the, the legal stuff, all that stuff is a lot of energy. And, I mean, it's partly because of COVID, but also just trying to make sure we had good distribution for through the Pacific Northwest took so long. Um, I mean, part of it was because it was crazy, been crazy with COVID, but just, yeah, all that stuff is not fun. Again, hiking, hiking thousands of miles, that's like a piece of cake. That's like the, the, the easy level, loving part, the, everything yeah. else um, around that is, is the hard part. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, kind of the other thing is when you made your first film, uh, since you self-funded this whole, you know, you saw, this was your own project from start to finish. Uh, how do I put it? All right. Since it was your product, project from start to finish, was what was the goal at the end in terms of distribution or audience? Because I know it like, you know, it's over a it's had a million, which means it's somewhere over a million views on YouTube now. What, what was kind of the idea for, okay, where am I going to put this? Who's going to see this? Well, you know, I, I just, I think at the time, uh, there actually weren't that many through hiking videos on YouTube because you're talking before wild, right? I mean, right. this is, I, this is my film uh, as it happens came out in the same winter that wild came out, just happened to be when but mm -hmm. but when I was making the film I mean it took me several years to make the film there really there was like one PCT documentary on YouTube so right. it was the intention was really it was honestly just to was just to make it and just to put it on YouTube um I I didn't really have any distribution plan for that film which is why it's on YouTube now YouTube has changed a lot and YouTube is actually a really amazing space to create in and can be viable as a professional to work in mm -hmm. um, but at the time it was really just like oh i got this film i don't really know what to do with it i didn't even try to distribute it any other way besides just put it on youtube for everybody to see so um but it led to a lot of great opportunities and through the pacific northwest um that series you know partly i mean it's led to a lot of great opportunities professionally for me even though it's free i mean the intention was just to get people excited about through hiking <laughs> right you know at the time i made it there were a lot lot less through hikers out there especially <laughs> on the pacific crest i mean <laughs> you're talking like maybe 250 300 people a year trying the pct and maybe less than 100 finishing so i mean significantly different times when i made right. that film um but i mean i think i mean obviously i think wild had 
uh, wild had a, a larger reach than as it happens. But I, I would like to think that as it happens has reached people and touched people mm-hmm. and inspired them to go on journeys of their own. Cause that's, that's my goal as a, as a filmmaker, that is, that's my goal. It's just to inspire yeah. people to set out on their own journeys. So we, we just got back from Zion just a couple of days ago. So we did Zion right. and Bryce Canyon and, you know, one being antisocial, <laughs> See, there's no way to get away from people in those places, even though we got to hike the subway and we hardly saw, you know, we had spans of an hour or so where we didn't see another person, which was really nice. But you know, you see so many people in the national parks, they're just getting crushed and inundated and kind of the thing on the through hikes too. Now that there's popularity, there's, you know, who knows how many people are already on the Pacific crest, you know? I mean, I was just out on the Pacific crest this weekend with my kids and um, we shared banana bread and beer in our camp on Sunday morning with uh, like maybe five through hikers who, who kind mm-hmm. of rolled up Um and we were just out in a section here in Southern California. Um, I think, you know, by um, my new newer goal, I guess, is, is to just spread the wealth. I mean, there's 11 national scenic trails and mm-hmm. there's not an equal distribution of people attempting those routes and kind of exploring all of them. There, it's, it's more concentrated on the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest, the big three, the CDT right. to a degree. So, um, but there's eight other ones. So. It's, um, yeah, just like highlighting those and also creating more national scenic trails. Like it's insane that Utah does not have a national scenic trail given the amount of public federal land on in Utah. Like it blows right. my mind. So as a, as a filmmaker and as somebody who advocates for through hiking, I, I think that more routes should be opened up. And I think that people should take a look at all the trails because there's, there's amazing trails. Like the Pacific Northwest Trail is an amazing trail. Um, Arizona Trail. Uh, yeah, there's like smaller ones like the New England Trail up in up in uh, I think it's Vermont, Massachusetts. Mm. So, you know, there's just there's a bunch. <laughs> um, so yeah, that could. So and where I was kind of going with that is is that you know with people finding this and kind of spreading the wealth, you know, you, you kind of go to a national park and it's just inundated with people. And even in Montana, like even from when COVID started, maybe even a little before COVID you know, a trailhead that used to go to that maybe there's going to be one other vehicle there. Now there's 10 vehicles or you got to figure out mm-hmm. how to park at that trailhead. Um, do you think there's ever a risk of, well, loving something to death, you know, without dispersing people? Because everyone wants to go to the Zion and they want to go to Angel's Landing and they want to get that Instagram photo. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, I think the beauty of long trails is that they're hard. It's hard to do a long trail. It kind of it 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 spares down the it it kind of whittles down the crowd, uh, if you will, because it's hard to hike a thousand miles or two thousand miles or three thousand miles. So when you get down to it, the folks that are able to do those hikes are folks. It, I mean, it takes down the numbers pretty quickly. I mean, there's something like thirty percent of people who start through hikes quit after three days because <laughs> it's not like you expect. Um, it's, it's, you know, I mean, I think there's probably greater, a better expectation for the reality nowadays, because there's so much literature and videos on the experience. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to do. So if you take on a, a through hike, yeah, they're definitely more crowded, but that, that's also the point is you, you want to have people on trails because you want to have advocates for trails. 
people right. won't protect things that they don't know. And right. part of the reason to get people out on trails and, and out in these public lands is to get them to not only know them, but love them. And if you love something, you protect it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of my, I mean, yeah, you can definitely love something to death, but that's usually just bad recreation principles. And mm -hmm. the through hiking community is really leave no trace, very right. light, light compared to the industrial tourism of national parks, which is right. quite frankly horrendous. <laughs> so that's what we were trying. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I guess that's what Ryan's yeah. alluding to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a different it's a different user group and I think that people gravitate to through hikes become that type of user group that is that incredibly light footstep compared to other types of outdoor rec. Right. Um, and it you can't really be you can't maintain in the through hiker crowd if you're not leaving or you're, if you're not if you're not embodying those principles of leaving no trace because you're going to get called out again and again if you're with people and you're not following protocols because it's part of the culture um which is not part of the culture of a lot of folks that just go parking lot visiting at national parks and right. rely on hotels and all the infrastructure that it just makes the modern national park visits kind of missing the point um you know that's i mean i could go on but yeah i think that right. you know through hikers in general are 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 really respect the space and, mm -hmm. and leave it as it was um i was about to say that i don't i didn't see any videos out there but i think it'd be very um useful he mentioned protocol but what uh, he assumes the uh, common knowledge of protocol is not all that common you know, well, mm -hmm. we, we see a lot of people, you know, kind of uh, doing something that's not in the protocol, but they have absolutely no knowledge of it. I mean, it's not intentional right. that they, if they knew better, they would do better. So, uh, which is what I think yeah. there should be an educational, I don't know, as, as, nah, well, it should be taught somewhere I preferably in school I would say you know if you have math physics biology and maybe wildlife uh, outdoor responsibility responsibility <laughs> just and I think people mm -hmm. would do better and uh, if they knew better mm -hmm. but well I think I think as it becomes more of a cultural cornerstone things like through hiking which it's you know in the last 30 years, the through hiking community has really grown, right? And mm -hmm. before it was an anomaly. It was like, you're kind of a screwball if you went and tried to hike the length of a long trail. But now it's becoming more culturally normal for, you know, to, to use a gap year between school or maybe just after you retire to take on a through hike. And I think the more it becomes a cultural cornerstone, the more likely you are to have institutions backing up recreate responsibly. I know for us, with through, I mean, we got early support from the Pacific Northwest Trail Association and their support being that they were excited about the project. And we even have a thing on their website that's a little excerpt from through, but also has all the links for how to recreate responsibly and to know the uniqueness of the Pacific Northwest Trail. And that's really the, the regard and the responsibility of the associations that steward the trails is to put out as much information as possible about the uniqueness of whatever trail you're hiking, but also how to recreate responsibly on them. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot more effort there because the numbers are increasing for through hikers just across the country um, to make sure that people are 
are recreating responsibly on on those hikes. Um, yeah, which, and I think that yeah, maybe it would be great if they did it in public schools. If they had a component, you know, that that taught kids. I mean, there's there's so much to it, um, but it's also really simple. It's like things that you kind of take for granted if you've been out long enough in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe in time we'll see. So kind of the the shift gears forward. Uh, you mentioned the uniqueness of the Pacific Northwest Trail. Mm-hmm. Why? What, what? What? What makes the Pacific Northwest Trail one? I think a real challenge because you're up, you know, you're higher latitude the whole time you're doing it. Um, and what? 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 What do you think are the most unique aspects of the Pacific Northwest Trail? The Pacific Northwest Trail is a choose-your-own-adventure route. It's it's like a third single-track trail. It's a third bushwhack slash scramble, and a third <laughs> just road walking, a road of some sort, whether it's a dirt road in the backcountry or or a paved road. Um, like going down all of Whidbey Island off of the Olympic uh, or off of Washington's coast. There, all road for like I don't know twenty plus miles or something. Um, but yeah, so it's it's. And each time you get to a scramble bushwhack, you're kind of making a decision between low and high route. Um, so it's it's kind of this like, just in terms of that, it's it's unique. It goes through these really wild corridors that are pretty remote, especially in those bushwhack scramble sections mm-hmm. that aren't. There's no trail that's developed there. Um, so like that is incredibly unique. It's also at a higher latitude, so you have a much shorter window, a much tighter window to accomplish it. Most through hikers can't start until July because it's so far north. If you're, you can't start. You know, it starts in Glacier National Park, and Glacier National Park doesn't open up till like July fourth. So you have a really tight window to kind of accomplish it. Um, and also, you know, the ending if you if you do end out on the Olympic peninsula is on the coast which is you know tidal you're dealing with tide charts and all that kind of stuff which is really unique to that trail it's also the only national scenic trail that involves a motorized vehicle which is the ferry that takes you across the puget sound to port townsend so there's a lot of unique aspects to the hike um, that just make it like incredibly rewarding uh and also really unique so what what's the longest bushwhack section that you had? Oh man, uh, this was a few years ago now. So you're, um, I want to say probably I think most bushwhacks are anywhere from like maybe um it could be started like just a mile of bushwhacking to maybe up to fifteen miles something like that. I think I think the longest one is actually in Idaho in the Selkirk. Um, mm. But I can't, I can't fully remember that, but it's kind of weird. You'll be like, you'll be hiking on a single track for five miles and then, and then you'll dump out on a dirt road and you'll be on the dirt road for maybe, I don't know, seven miles. And then all of a sudden you're, it's like, okay, now it's time to just clear off and bushwhack to connect with another single track trail. And maybe that bushwhack is three miles, you know, so that, you know, that's what a day looks like. So it's, it's kind of hard to get into a, a solid rhythm like the PCT or, or the AT or something like mm-hmm. that, where you have a, a marked route and you're just kind of mindlessly going. You're constantly like assessing like where you're at. And you know, there's there's GPS now. There's GPS waypoints um, that make it a lot easier um, than it used to be. Where mm-hmm. you know you're really relying on the guide and maps. Um, you obviously still have paper maps, but the GPS really keeps you keeps you 
grounded as far as knowing where you're at because <laughs> sometimes those bushwhacks are pretty thick in, the, in terms of vegetation and uh yeah and you know so this this kind of this choose your own adventure hike right now on the pacific north northwest trail is there plans to you know to promote maybe like some of those bushwhack sections of getting a trail built or kind of coming up with a more established route that's a little more ease of travel yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, definitely for the road sections, they definitely would like to get it, not just like, I mean, I think it's part of National Scenic Trails planning is it has to meet a certain standard mm-hmm. um, in terms of what the trail can, what the trail provides. Um, and so getting the stuff off of the roads onto a single track trail is definitely a priority. And then I know that the intention of the founder of the trail, Ron Strickland, was to have a lot of the bushwhack sections be on the high route. So the ideal route is typically the high route, which high for the views, right? So like mm-hmm. you're, you're going up onto the spine of a mountain and cutting a single track trail up there. Um, and these are all places that are, are already used. Um, like, and even, be, even without through hikers, um, like you can already see some foot traffic in these, in these particular routes because people do these routes, even if they're not hiking the length of the Pacific Northwest Trail. Um, but typically, yeah, they, I think in time they would like to, just like the PCT and the AT, have the whole trail on on single track would probably be the most ideal. And it would change the nature of the trail to have that for sure. But it would also guarantee that that trail is preserved for future generations to get it on single track. And when, when you're doing, when you're making through, and so this was a very intentional through you know through hike to make to make through uh what's kind of the typical filming day or filming slash hiking day and how do you determine when to put the camera away and just really hike and when to take it out and yeah it's a it's a it's a tricky balance to hike 20 plus miles a day you know on on the pnt it was 20 plus miles a day plus 3k vert up and 3k vert down average for every day so there were beefy days inside of mixed terrain and it was challenging just as a hiker uh Mm -hmm. let alone trying to film it i mean we went at it as a team my colleague peter hockhauser my co-creator on on the first season he's from austria i saw his video online it's called this is not a beautiful hiking video to google it um and i saw that and i was like oh this is a guy who likes to hike and film how rare (laughs) because and a lot of times people really don't like to film and hike right they see them as kind of oil and water. Um, but I reached out to him and was like, hey, if we take, if we do this as a team, then we'll be able to achieve a higher production value. Um, so we looped in somebody who I had worked with in Utah prior, Brennan Bartlett, who is a time-lapse cinematographer. And we attacked it as a team. We uh, attack isn't, we approached it as a team. Like I had the gimbal, so I was doing a lot of the moving work for a lion's share of it. Uh, Peter had a long lens, Brennan did the time-lapse work, and we just kind of did it by feel. I mean, you know, in terms of getting the, capturing the spaces, that's like the easy part. The physical landscape is the easy part, but like the hard part was the mental landscape. And that's where the story is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the heart of it. Like, well, the physical stuff and like the beautiful landscapes, that's a piece of cake. We can fit, we can do that all day you know um but the mental landscape and and doing the journalism to capture the mental landscapes of each person in the crew people met along the way 
the team dynamics as they grow. Cause I had never met Peter before we set out in Montana. So yeah, we were perfect strangers. I mean, we had set up the project, but we had never met. That was the goal was to have to show strangers becoming, yeah. you know, Friends. trail buddies or, yeah. you know, trail family. So that, that, showing that evolution was to me as a filmmaker and a journalist the hardest part the mental landscape like by far in <laughs> terms of what we were capturing out there but we would just take time you know it's like oh hey let's do some walk and talk I'm going to give you the camera with the gimbal say whatever's on your mind right now and we'll give we'll give you some space so you can say it privately and we won't unearth it until after the hike so a lot of it when we got done the hike was very interesting to me because I was re-watching <laughs> the hike but I was watching all these perspectives of my colleagues, my my crewmates that mm -hmm. I had never was not privy to, right? So, um, and then at times like being a journalist and being like, oh, I think something's going on with, you know, Brennan. Like I need to put a camera in his face and and ask him some hard questions, you know, and which is it wasn't always easy, but it was a balancing act of like, I'm your friend, but I'm also we're also filmmakers, so we're like doing this. Um, right. Did you guys you include the, all the uh, incidences where you wanted to choke the life out of each other? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no <laughs> because that there's definitely nothing, happens. <laughs> there's no turn, stone left unturned in, in, the, in the series. We originally intended to make a film. It wasn't supposed to be a series, but after we got done the first stretch, we we're. I was like just knowing how much we shot card wise i was like gosh we shot a lot I, I i feel like we already have enough for a feature length and we just got out of glacier national park and but you know so by the end i just knew we had this wealth of story and and the goal was to not have a fourth wall right so like when peter is talking to me i'm just holding the camera here and it feels like he's talking to you as a viewer but mm -hmm. he's really talking to me andy right so like there's no we 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 pretty much used every almost every square inch of usable footage and story point to to shape the narrative from the continental divide and that includes all the blunders and all the uh, i mean of course that's like you know that's such part, a of, part of the journey of, <laughs> of course yeah totally like me eating shit like falling down with the camera when i'm trying to film something i mean there's a lot of the blooper type things you would yes. expect in the outtakes are totally just like integrated into the the, the storyline throughout the episodes so. or when one of you gets too hangry <laughs> yeah 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 there's there's lots of moments of that but um <laughs> but yeah we we laugh because uh somebody out of the two of us is super guilty of being hangry <laughs> i find that i'm more hangry in civilization because like i know i should have food here like like right here i got a big thing of peanuts right like but like in the backcountry, there's like a, a thing in my head that just switches where it's like, you know, food is rationed. And I don't know, I, 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 be, I actually become less hangry in the backcountry than I do in regular life or in civilization, mm -hmm. if you will. I don't know, it's a perspective shift. I don't know. I think my body goes into this thing as I've done enough through hikes where it's like, oh, we're in through hiking mode. We're gonna be hungry a lot. Like we better just get comfortable. Switch it off. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. So out of all the characters, that that you meet along the trail i mean is there one or two that really stick out especially on the pacific northwest trail when you did through is there a couple characters that just stick out in your memory whether they made the film or not that it were just you know that guy that that person is so memorable 
Yeah, I mean, I think the first time we got trail magic was pretty amazing. Cliff Kramer in Idaho, at, he just like, we got there late to his little backcountry. It's like a bar restaurant and it's kind of like a hunting lodge, I guess, because mm-hmm. um, it's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we got there late and we had dinner there. And then we he was chatting with us real, really nice. And then I, we were like, well, what time do you open up for breakfast? And he was like, well, we don't serve breakfast. And we're like, oh, that sucks because... <laughs> all we have are like a dried out bagel you know for the next morning and he was like well he's like if you want breakfast i'll just leave the keys and you can just you know use our kitchen and use anything in the fridge to make breakfast so it's just like you know like what what an amazing like i just met him that night and he was like yeah here's the keys to my restaurant just like do what you want and we made this beautiful breakfast the next morning um you know it's like just opened our doors his doors to us um just to have that trust was just like a great, you know, reinforcer of what what I love about through hiking. Um, mm-hmm. So he was he was great. Um, there's lots of characters um, across the series. Uh, there's also people that kind of came in and out of the crew. There's a guy named Left Foot uh, who, you know, just just like us, he he was through hiking. He but he also liked his alone time. So he would like be alone and then he'd come with us for a stretch and then he'd come out and uh, I just really enjoyed his perspective. And he was also like a, a uh amateur mycologist uh for the mushrooms so he helped us source some beautiful morels in uh eastern washington and that turned into a beautiful story where we kind of brought them into a town with a trail angel and and made a huge i mean we we got a lot of morels um Mm -hmm. but that wouldn't have happened without him so you know there was that was really amazing and yeah there's just every i mean that's the thing is like on a through hike it's all about those stories that those highs and the lows that you have mm-hmm. with people that are so memorable. And that was our goal was to just capture them vividly and through. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I always, I had to ask anyone that does some, so we, uh, a previous interview, we did an alter marathoner and she was absolutely fascinating. You know, she finished, what did she finish? 40th in the hard rock 100 this past mm-hmm. year. So she's mm-hmm. kind of an alter stud. And what's always amazing people to do these long distances, whether it's a through hike or an ultra marathon, how do you keep your feet healthy? Because I have the worst time because I have plantar fasciitis. My feet get sore and tender. What, do, what are you doing just on, the, just on the recovery and physical angle to keep your body going? Yeah, um, I've done an ultra marathon too. Actually, a year ago this week, I did the Zion 100K, which was just insane. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, it was, it, it's not easy it was, it was it was not easy it was not there was very little pleasure in that activity um <laughs> yes. i much prefer through hiking yes um, precisely but yeah keeping your feet healthy or I, I mean everybody has different feet and like some some folks like brennan on the hike he tried all these different shoes and he was just his feet were just getting obliterated um and then he wound up switching to chaco sandals and that was the ticket he switched to those and he didn't have any blisters anymore. So footwear choice, like if something's not working, you know, if as much as you're fiscally able to mm-hmm. switch it out with something else that's different and try it because everybody's feet are so different and it's different for everybody. The other thing is don't let it go too long. Like if you get blisters, make sure you're, you're treating them and you're keeping them infection free is a big one. Um, and, you know, the other thing too, is just like, on the daily, keeping your feet dry. Anytime you take a break, get them out of your shoes and 
air them out. It's nice to have two pairs of socks so you can kind of like, you can just, you know, switch them out. So if your socks get really sweaty and grimy, you can like wash them in the creek, tie them to your pack and then have that other pair that was just hanging there and put on a fresh pair midday. And then when those get grimy, you got the other ones you just washed out that are probably dry now and just keep switching throughout the day mm-hmm. and just keeping the dirt and the moisture away from your feet because that's going to rub and create blisters and stuff. But I will say that I'm, I'm maybe a little unique in that I have incredibly flat feet and I I have never really had a problem. I've hiked for thousands of miles and I've gotten like one blister in my life. So I don't know. I don't know what that superpower is, but I have it. That's your superpower. That is a superpower. I don't, I don't, yeah, so I don't, I can't empathize with people who really have gotten their feet torched um, Mm -hmm. myself, but I've seen it and I've seen how people deal with it. And I don't know if I'm just lucky, but literally I have no arch and I don't know if that incredible flatness has something to do with it, but I just haven't really had many foot problems. Obviously they ache and they get sore if you're doing 20, 25, 30 mile days back to back Mm -hmm. to back to back. But, um, but yeah, it just not, hasn't really been an issue for me. yeah, it hasn't been an issue. Not yet. I don't know. Maybe next one. Maybe the next one I'll I'll break my streak. <clears throat> so when when you were uh, filming and editing through, were you already in a relationship with outside TV at that point? No, 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 no. Okay. I mean, when I say independent, you know, I'm an independent documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I'll usually find some seed funders that can get it off the ground you know, mm-hmm. pay for some of the field costs. And this goes for hiking films as far, or for my more reporting films, whether I'm reporting on something in the Everglades or whatever it is. Right. But once I have a little bit of money that can cover the basis of just field production, um, then I go out and I do it and I, and I do it how I, to fulfill my vision as an independent. And then after I'm done, then I go and I pitch it to networks. So that's my model um, so far. So, yeah. All right. And so the first part of now, how many was there eight episodes of three? Yeah, there's eight episodes. Yeah. Yep. So the first eight episodes are on outside TV. And um, it, what's kind of the plan going forward? Is there going to be a second season and a third season? And then. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the goal. I mean, we want through to be a platform that that has lots of journeys on it um, and just feature keep getting better at capturing journeys um, and show the diversity that, of experiences that are on journeys from the landscapes to the people who take them on um, to those people's experiences in those landscapes so our goal is to just continue um, and I've already I'm already I've already shot the second season it's kind of a shorter um, mm-hmm. shorter piece but um, I'm in edit on that right now and um, that'll come out after uh, sometime after uh, the, the Pacific through the Pacific Northwest, um, right. and then and then kind of plotting towards the next the next one as well, which we'll see when we'll see when that hike happens. Well, you know, maybe take the whole family with you. There's a there's a dynamic <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just had my kids out this weekend on the PCT. My son's name is Walker, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot oh, of expectation nice. there. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I um, yeah, I've, I've I've definitely thought about that. I I would love to. I mean, I love the dynamic of of a parent and their kid out in the backcountry. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's on my radar as well for potential for potential projects. Um, 
yeah, but it is hard to be a hiker, a parent, and a filmmaker all at the same time. <laughs> right. Well, especially if you're trying to do all three at the same time. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's I heard you. Right. You get over here. Oh, you mess that shot up. I gotta get you back. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and just yeah, and keeping kids focused is hard, hard enough. But yeah. Um, so but I do say, love hiking with my kids. Yeah. Sorry, would you say that's the biggest challenge you have? Quick, wearing many mean? different, wearing many different hats: father, a hiker, and a filmmaker. Yeah, I think a balancing to, with you know yeah. balancing all three because hiking yeah, is very time consuming and that's time away from family. Uh, but at the same yeah. time, you kind of have to provide for the family or at least be there. Yeah, both. <laughs> both. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I mean, my job takes me out. I was just shooting on the East Coast for like eight days, and I just got back like last week. And I'm slated to go back out again for another shoot. In some ways, actually filming a through hike is a little more conducive to a more regular schedule because you're gone for a period of time, but then the edit takes so long. I mean, the edit for through took nine months. So I was home for nine oh, months wow. editing that. So because eight episodes, it's six hours of content. That's a lot to create. Um, it's not, you know, a five minute video or a, even an hour long video. Uh, it was like just an, an insane amount of, but I work from home. This is my home. So I, when I'm when I'm home, I'm really home. Um, but when I'm away, I'm really away. But for other series work, I'm I'm in and out a lot, which is actually in some ways more stressful because like I'm in field mode for a week and then I'm back home for a week or two and then I'm back in field mode for a week. You know, it's like it, it's hard to get in a rhythm sometimes with that. So um, but, you know, it's just like, you know, some guys are truck drivers. They got to get in the truck and they got to do their True thing that. to make a living. And, you know, for me as a documentary filmmaker there's field time and there's edit time and um the field time means daddy's away from home and you only see him on facetime if i'm lucky if i have service yeah, so, yeah. what would you say uh would you say there are some myths about uh through hiking um i think that like a common misconception is is when you get out there you're just going to have these aha moments and we certainly capture those aha moments and through uh but the goal of through was to also show all the context for those moments, like what it took to get to those moments. Like, you know, you don't have this like, ah, amazing realization, like just cause you're on a mountaintop, you have it because- With like V arms of... and all, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, ha we, we have that shot, but what did it take to get to that shot? And a lot of the, what it took to get to that shot are things like tedium, you know, just being with yourself for really long periods of time, right? Or um, just like slugging through the tedium of a really long road walk or just being really uncomfortable for a long time. I mean, a lot of through hiking is really uncomfortable, like 70% suck. I mean, it's a high ratio of like un being uncomfortable. And uh, so I think, yeah, I think people maybe, you know, they look at Instagram or they look at something and they don't see the full story of what a through hike really is. and when they get out there, they're like, oh, this is not what I expected, you know? And um, and I think, you know, when you embrace the uncomfortableness is when really magical things can happen, but there's a lot of discomfort in through hiking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I do have one question. Uh, what was your biggest fuck up? My <laughs> biggest fuck up? Um, hmm. I think, uh, <laughs> 
in relation to like through the Pacific Northwest or like as a filmmaker or as a hiker? As, as, a so I question. take it there's more than one or two. <laughs> there's, there's categories of fuck ups, you know, this yeah, one this here. This we we all have it. we all have missteps. Um, but yeah, what? How, how about as specific? a hiker? How as a that? hiker, what was your biggest fuck up and what did you learn from that? Um, oh, I think the biggest thing was like, uh, and it's kind of what I was just speaking to, but like, just like uh, being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Cause like when I first started hiking in the AT, it was really snowy. It was cold. I was super uncomfortable and I would just get really pissed off when things happened. Like if I slipped or if I would get to a water source and it was just totally frozen over, like I would just get explosively angry. I mean, I was young, I was 21, 22 at the time. And and like it happened enough times where like one time like I literally was so angry that I I fell that I took my trekking pole and I whacked it against a tree and the the trekking pole just broke oh, in half. <laughs> and then I was like oh well I'm an idiot because now I don't have a trekking pole for the rest of this stretch you know the last nice. 50 miles of the stretch or whatever it was <laughs> and it was like a realization I'm like well that was a fuck up because that didn't solve anything <laughs> you know um so I would say like, just like the early blunders of, of hiking, um, you know, like just getting angry for no reason or, or like being angry with the inability to control the situation. Like, you know, and there was a lot of moments like that. Um, uh, and those are like the things that eventually round you out and really, you know, just make you more flexible as a person in the long run. Um, but yeah, I had, had, had a lot of those moments early on, um, especially on the Appalachian Trail, especially. Cool. Well, I was going to say, it's, you know, it's like the path to enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. sure. When you read yeah. through the literature from Buddhism philosophy, that's <laughs> yeah, right. usually when you're hiking, it just, uh, you know, you come across all those scenarios mm -hmm. uh, or actually right. have to, and then you have to work through them rather than talk about working through them. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I grew up without any spiritual background, like my you know, my, I never went to church or anything. I, I, I never had any sense of that. And I think the thing that hiking brought me was just that there was a world out there be, beyond Andy, right? Like there's a bigger world that, that I'm operating in, in a bigger universe. And you go through all these little lessons like that breaking the hiking pole and you kind of write your own little, I don't know, your own little Bible, if you will. Like you kind of write your own moral grounding on a through hike. Like with the people that you meet from all different walks of life to the experience that you have that are really specific, you know, and, and yeah, it, it kind of is like a, without getting like duty, like a path to enlightenment, because when you get to the end of it, your corners, you know, your hard opinions are really ground down and you, you become a much more open person to folks um, and to yourself. You're, you know, just, you have this experience that I think a lot of people are longing for uh in today's world and i didn't anticipate that I, I really didn't and it has been very grounding for me in life you know you say lots of people are um uh, are, are pining for it or looking for it you know which is you know the, the grasp of different things whether it's therapy religion or whatever but you know i i think instead of becoming a monk or a nun you could just become a through hiker <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fast track <laughs> Totally. I don't know if it's a fast track, but it's definitely one, one option. Uh, it's only three miles an hour, so I don't know how fast it is, but it, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely Slow an track. experience. Yeah, I, 
I, I mean, I, I, again, you know, one of my goals is just to get more people through hiking. And I, I really think you do turn out a happier person at the end of it, you know, happy in a more real way. I don't know. It's a, a way that even more, if the situation is not what you want, you're still able to find happiness in it because that's just the nature of the hike. When we talk about athletes or talk with, and you can, or uh, hikers, runners, ultra runners, it's, there's a, um, I don't know if you know this it, but there's always uh, a presence about them. The uh, there's the, like a, a calmness, a calm. This yeah. is like whatever it is on the surface, you can tell there's like a peaceful calmness behind it all. Um, just uh, you know, so you know this person's done. This person's done shit. <laughs> right. Well, when you're uncomfortable, <laughs> or see some shit. Long, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, people also ask me like, oh, when you go out for, why are you going out for another through hike? Like, you've already done that. It's like, it's such a dynamic situation. And like, even I'm 35, and it's still one of my favorite things to do is to go on a through hike. And it's because it's this dynamic situation that's always challenging you. Even if you have a ton of experience, that's the beauty of the backcountry is that, you know, no matter how much experience you have, you can always be challenged. Uh, it's just constantly changing as are you so um yeah i just i i I can't say enough to the experiences like once you have those experiences on trail how they translate into your life it's just um, it helps you take on big things and 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 be at peace with challenging situations would you do you have a hard time getting back into civilization once you're done with your hikes (laughs) well i mean um as a parent uh it's kind of it's kind of this like you just you go from you know zero to 100 miles an hour you know you get home and um and all of a sudden it's like whoa the kids are all over you and 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 work obligations are all over you again um but often my hiking is kind of in in tune with my work you know where you know maybe it was this the field work was the hiking and now i'm coming back home and editing um i like to think that um I've made it less contrast, like less of a contrast. Because before I would go on a hike and then I'd get back to the city and I would work on some job that meant nothing to me. And I, and it was a hard, it was hard to come back to. But now I've kind of shaped my career as like, I go on a hike and I film it and then I come home and a little piece of me is still on that hike because in my edit yes. is the stories from that hike. So like yeah. I, I'm able to get back into my community in the city and 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 you know really lean on that for just as a person. But I'm also still have my head in the clouds a bit because my head is still putting together the story of what happened on that hike or that expedition. So um, so I've made it easier for myself in 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 taking the mountains home with me, if you will. Um, yeah. So you're kind of really fortunate that you have like this long tail of experience. Because you get to look yeah. at that footage. Like we look at footage of like old things. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, you know, that reliving thing. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a real, I mean, it's a it's a luxury, but I've worked really hard to make it part of my program. So it becomes know, part of my part. so he can benefit from the hobby that you have, mm-hmm. actually. Yep. Do you have yeah. any advice for people that are thinking about uh, through hiking? Just, just through hiking, not filming, just just going out on a through hike. Just through hiking, yes. Um, I would say the first thing, if you're thinking about it, is just buy a plane ticket, buy a bus ticket, whatever that first thing is. Like, 
because until you like put it into the universe, like and actually do something that like sets a date, it's just going to be a thought that's just going to go by and there's going to be excuses and you're not mm. going to do it because there's a million reasons to not do a through hike that all seem really worthy. Um, there's never going to be a good time to through hike. So I always just say like, if you're interested, buy that, buy that bus ticket, buy the, buy the plane ticket. Cause then everything else is just detail. You, you wrap the energy around. That's my start date. Start saying it out loud that you're doing it to people. And then it's, then you just figure out all the details. You know, half the battle is just getting to the Get start. Started. The just pull hike, the trigger, you know? go for it. Yep. And the other half is, is hiking the trail, you know, the effort put in. But that, that's a monumental step is to just buy your ticket to the start and start telling people, hey, I am through hiking. I'm hiking through hiking the Ice Age Trail. You know, it's like that's 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 the biggest piece of advice I can give to anybody who wants to through hike. All right. Yeah. Well, we want to be uh, respectful of your time here. We're at about an hour. Uh, I got two questions. Oh, she's loaded with questions. <laughs> this woman is going to ask you something. No, I just don't. I want you to be prepared. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So, what would you do if you found uh, a penguin in your freezer? I found a penguin in my freezer. Well, I would call my my boss at my at my day job. I work at a natural history production house. He is a PhD evolutionary biologist. And I would ask Ooh. him why the hell a penguin is in my freezer in San Diego, California. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're thinking that's it's an evolutionary step for the penguin? I, I would want to <laughs> yeah, I would want to know I would want to what's going on and then film it beautifully, like planet Earth style of it like coming out of my fridge in like ultra 1000 frames per second slow motion and everything else right the the ice is shrinking but there's still plenty of freezers it's so just a transition yeah, <laughs> right exactly i yeah penguins are getting smarter but somehow they followed you home though <laughs> yeah. True. i don't know how they made it through the heat of yeah. so this penguin has been stalking you for a little while before it got to your house <laughs> i guess i guess so all right what you have one more yeah what's your spirit animal Hmm. Spirit animal, probably like a street dog. I would think a street dog, uh, not 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 like a house dog, but like a street dog. And they're a little bit wild. They're also obviously a little bit tame, um, and they really operate well in packs. That would be my spirit animal, like a okay. grungy, nice. a grungy right. street dog. That 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 would be it. <laughs> and uh, if anyone uh, listening to this wanted to contact you what's uh, where's a good uh, platform for them to reach you um just go to throughfilm.com t-h-r-u film.com and that has links to to my personal website um but it also has is a great place to go because you can get the link to watch through so and that's what people listening should go watch right now okay. there you go okay. so uh through film on outside tv which is super cool and uh, I think I am now I'm kind of uh, interested in doing a through hike, but mine is relatively short. It's from this seat to the kitchen. We forgot the most important question. Oh, what's that? What's your favorite beer? Oh, what's my favorite beer? Uh, I mean, you're wearing the, uh, the tire. <laughs> yeah, this is actually my favorite beer. Helix Brewing. It's in it's in San Diego and you can only get it at their tap room. But whenever I have a party, this is, this is the beer I get. And also the guy who started this, I 
do crazy trail runs and peak bagging with. So we're like oh, best buddies. Awesome. But he also brews amazing beer. So Helix Brewing in San Diego. It's actually in La Mesa. It's just a little bit out, but it's awesome. Now, now I got a new quest. A new beer quest is here. Yeah, you should come. Yeah, it's got a lot of awards, but it's it's yeah, it's a great it's a great spot. He has like yeah, I could talk a lot about the beer, but yeah, he likes. I think we're gonna go and then Google him. I think there's gonna be some googling. (laughs) All right, all right. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. All right. uh, Quite pleasurable listening to you and talking with you.